And away we go. I'm Chris Hart. Gary Dickman. And this is ESPN Honolulu. We're the sports animals. And uh, gosh, a lot going on. We've got to go over game one or game two of the NBA finals. Uh, Phil Mickelson has crossed over to the dark side. We've got all kinds of local news going on. And a uh, former Hawaii coach is being nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame. That and a lot more coming up here on ESPN Honolulu. But we start the show with yesterday a great defensive showing by Steph Curry. Couldn't believe it. What a game Steph Curry had. He did have a very good game offensively and defensively. Some people forget that he can play defense. And I think after game one, a lot of Golden State Warriors needed to step up on their defense because Boston had too much of an easy time on Thursday in game one, and Steph Curry was key. Marcus Smart, who I believe had over 20 in game one, two points on one field goal. That was fantastic on Golden State's end. Only um, three starters ended up with two points each for Boston. So I think the team had a pretty good effort. Draymond Green we expected from. Steph Curry usually not as much. And the game was fairly close in the first half. But again, that third quarter, it's happened so many times these playoffs for Golden State. Fortunately for Golden State, the fourth quarter wasn't a repeat of Thursday night. They outscored Boston by 21 in the third quarter and only got outscored right. by four in the fourth. That game was over after the third quarter, right. especially when yeah, the fourth quarter the fourth, started. In the fourth quarter, after a, just a few minutes, they sat Jason Tatum down and just left him there, uh, which was the smart thing to do. They weren't going to come back in that game because, again, just like Steph Curry in game one, it was Jason Tatum in game two. No one was there to help Jason Tatum, really. It was the J- Well, you had Jalen Brown for a little while. Remember, he got in foul trouble. He got two early fouls, and he got a third foul kind of early. He sat more than usual, I believe, on the bench. I don't have the minutes played in front of me, but it wasn't like it used to be. So it was really Jason Tatum trying to win that game by himself. Which is kind of funny in a way where on Thursday, Jason Tatum was 3 of 17, really kind of stunk it up except for the 13 assists, and they win. And then he has a really good normal-type game. he He stunk it up offensively as a shooter. But he contributed many different ways with all the assists and on defense. He played great defense in game number one. Played great defense, had 13 assists. I mean, he had a double-double. It was just his shots weren't falling. He's a smart guy. He's not going to push it. He says, you know what, this isn't working. I'm going to bring everybody else in to win this game. I just think that if you would have seen Jason Tatum go 3 for 17 and that Boston could have still won that first game by 12 and it wasn't even really that close, you might be surprised. Then he has a typical Jason Tatum game with the numbers and they lose and they only get 88 points. I think Golden State was a little desperate to say the least. You can't go down 2-0 at home. We talked about that on Friday. But I think maybe it was a wake-up call on Thursday as well because Golden State realized, hey, this Boston team is legit. They're that good. We better bring our A game. And they pretty much played it yesterday. Not everybody <laughs> shot well. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Say that. Say what did you? What? What was uh? What was Golden State thinking to themselves? That Boston is legit. They are that good, and we better bring our A game. And then what else? And we better bring our A game. Yeah, is what you just said. And that's true. Because so, they didn't on Thursday. So whenever this season is, whenever this season is done. I want you to follow that up with just as equally a cliche as they just wanted it more than the other. Yeah, never. I'll never say that. That's just what you said. Oh, we decided to we bring our A game. We didn't bring our A game in game one. 
we'll bring our A game in number, game two because these guys are pretty good. I think they got to wait. that? I think it's time to bring our A game. I think you you don't, I don't think people give enough credit to NBA coaches and adjustments that coaches are constantly making. I think that you should give some credit to Steve Kerr in this game with well, what I, he did. No? Well, no? I will, but I'm not going to bl- I'm not going to say that on Thursday Steve Kerr made adjustments on the shooting. They shot really poorly. That's what I mean about their A game. Right. They were a little complacent. Right. Maybe they just thought with a 12-point lead in the fourth quarter in game 1 they could win and they couldn't and their shots were okay. awful in that fourth quarter. I think okay. they got a wake up call. All right. They didn't want okay, it more that makes yesterday. Sense. They needed okay. it more. That makes sense. Then then that makes sense. They got complacent. And they decided this time we're not going to let up. We're going to keep our foot on the gas because that's what we saw. Foot on the gas? What a cliche. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is they decided to not let up, to stop shooting. They didn't rest players. Steph Curry went out there, and there was that one, again, in the third quarter, they were matching three for threes with with, uh, Jason Tatum. It was awesome. And then you had, you know, just before the – was it just before halftime? You had uh, Jordan Poole hit that almost half-court shot. Yeah. I mean, other players were able to hit. And I think sometimes, just like a pitcher, sometimes you got your you got your good stuff going, and sometimes you don't. I don't um, – Clay Thompson couldn't get it going. It wasn't a lack of Clay Thompson not trying to bring his A game. Sometimes you just don't have it, like Jason Tatum in game one. And sometimes you got it, and you're, and you're in a zone – like Steph Curry was in game two. It happens like that throughout all sports. I mean, he didn't even play at all in the fourth quarter yesterday. And usually you bring him in around the seven, eight minutes. Who didn't mark. play they at didn't all in Steph fourth Curry. quarter? Oh, I know. I know. And I think Are you was... standing by? He was standing by because they weren't <laughs> going to let it go. If they, You know what I mean? If it, yeah. they, they were starting to go, they, were gonna, they weren't yeah. going to go, well, we usually sit him here and we're going to do what we always do. No, it was, you know what, rest. Because if he got hurt when you're up by 25 points, that's the, you know, we that would be, that would be terrible, terrible. I, that would be totally terrible. I don't. Again, with Steve Kerr, he has never swayed from the formula they use with subbing for Steph Curry. He sits out beginning of the second, beginning of the fourth. I, I mean, I haven't watched every game, of course, but they never do anything different. They do what they do, and I mean, I'm sure they could adjust by a minute or two if needed. This is Game Seven. You're not going to keep him out because it's you know not the eight minute mark, but the fact that he was able to sit right. the entire quarter, and like you said, most of the Boston Celtics did too, and you got basically the uh, second string in there for the last six, seven minutes of that game, except for Jordan Poole. He ended right. up playing down the stretch that's it and i think you got to do that you got to keep one guy in there yeah, you, you yeah. see a lot of coaches do that yeah. but at the same time more of the uh you still had De- uh, uh Derek white out there for a while boston kept more starters out there in the game while golden state was making their subs there was so they were still out there trying to come back for a few minutes and then after a while they went okay you know what yeah, let's clo- yeah. close up our tent and head on you know, let's uh, call this a loss, start fresh, and head home. And, yeah, I mean, it's a smart thing to do. You don't want to have a guy get injured when the game is totally out of reach. And it was different than Thursday right. where Golden State didn't let up on that. The first uh, few possessions of the fourth quarter, they scored, I think, the first six or seven points. And that was a lot different than Thursday when uh, Boston went on a 9-0 run to start the fourth quarter. I think it was all Jalen Brown that night. So I'm glad we have a little bit longer series, a little more drama. I still can't tell. I mean, I picked Golden okay, State Okay, time to call in and win. I'm glad we have a longer series. 
Call in and win. I didn't say seven. I didn't say well, Gary seven. Gary Dickens got a prize for you. Anytime he says, I want these to last as long as possible, or, uh, you know, that the, it's, it's you know, I want it to be a game seven, listeners can call in and win. Okay. So, I didn't anyway. say game seven, but I did say I want a long series. You know, again, you yeah. know, I picked Golden State. I don't and then, know. And then, can... don't for, and then don't forget, don't forget, after the basketball season's done, call in and win when Gary's, it's a drinking game, too. You can make it a drinking game if you're not driving. When Gary says, I'm really sad that the season's over. And, um, you know, football season's coming up, but I'm really going to miss the players. Yeah. I'm going to miss the players? <laughs> Everything else, you're That's, right. I'm yeah. sorry. I got that I got that mixed up with after UH basketball season. <laughs> after UH basketball season, Gary will say, I look up to these players, and I, I got teary-eyed when the, uh, after the last game. I'm going to miss them. So every time Gary does that after UH basketball season, then you call in and win. We got a lot of prize opportunities here with GD. <laughs> I'm a fan. That's why I'm a fan. Fanboy, fanboy. They have a name for it. You're a fanboy. You should try it sometime. It's okay. Nothing wrong with being a fanboy. <laughs> Maybe at your age, it's a little strange, but that's okay. What I was also going to say, though, I, is I don't think hard. you can really predict who's going yes. to win this series. I mean, Boston has shown that they belong, and we knew that anyway. They can match up well. And besides, for that third I'm sorry, quarter, I'm sorry, we forgot the we we forgot the opening for Gary Dickman's low-hanging fruit. I don't think you can predict who's going to win this. You know how many cliches you have used in the first eight minutes? Where I only repeated, I think, one of them. What is it? I don't remember now. There's so many mixed up with that you've been saying over and over. Yeah. Again. <laughs> hey, actually, actually, tr truthfully, no, you have a good point. But that's actually, I don't think, I think Boston is still too strong for these guys. Boston has, I just believe that Boston has more talent and I think even more depth. How do you say more talent? Warriors. And I know I know what you mean. How can you? I mean, that's saying a lot. Golden State starting five. I mean, four because of them have I'm been all-stars. Because I'm not, I'm not counting Clay Thompson anymore. I don't, I'm not I, I'm taking him out of the equation. How can you after what he did against Dallas 10 days ago when he had 32 in that closeout game? Yeah, I know what you mean about game one and right. two. And that's right. And then game one and two before Dallas. Where was he in Dallas? How many good days did he have in, in, uh, against all those how many good games did he have against Dallas? One. How many? He's been so inconsistent. I can't. I can't. To, to me, you need at least big two. And Draymond isn't a big two because he can't score. Right. Oh, Although true, he did true. make a free throw, I believe. <laughs> he he actually had five yesterday. Five right. out of seven. But you usually, cor correct me if I'm wrong, You're not. they don't have Jordan Poole and Steph Curry out on the court at the same time, right? Some, they, they don't start off that way. Poole will come in for Clay. Um, Clay just comes okay. out with like two or three minutes left in the first quarter. So he and Steph play together. Then Steph's out of the game in the beginning of the second quarter when Clay's in. They don't play that often together unless down the stretch the situation calls for that. But, see, with Boston, though, and what you said about Golden State is fair, but Boston also has a, maybe a, a concern about consistency as well. Jason Tatum going back to Thursday. Uh, I think Jalen Brown is maybe the most yeah, consistent but, guy. But, he did shoot well yesterday. That rarely happens to Jason Tatum, though. That rarely happens to Jason Tatum. Lately, it always happens to Clay Thompson. Uh, it, it's happened more than you would think with Clay. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, the game against Dallas, he was great, and the shooting percentage the last two games has not. Uh, but how do you explain Al Horford going for 26 points, all those threes in game one, and he has two right. points yesterday? Wow.
I'll, exp- I'll explain that. He's not your first option. In that game, it just happened to, he happened to get hot, and they fed him the ball. I mean, he only took four shots in this game. He was playing in other ways that Al Horford plays well. I thought he was at least trying to play some pretty good defense. But, you know, it was just one of those games where, I don't know, his plus or minus is minus 15, but I guess everybody's got a minus on the plus and minus um, for the Boston Celtics. Yeah. But, yeah, except for uh, Neesmith has a plus 10 for some reason because he came <laughs> in at the end of the game. Anyway, but, you know, Al Horford can help you in a lot of ways, but he's never the kind of guy that's going to score 26 points in a game on, you know, great three-point shooting, right? Well, but he's not good as quite a starter. that much. I, I think he averages 19 and a half a game in his career. So right around there, not uh-huh. too bad. But, yeah, he's not a guy that's going to give you 25, 30 night and night out. That was exceptional on Thursday. And, and Right, because there's, o- there's only so much time in a basketball game. And you need your scores to be what it was um, yesterday for a while with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It's got to be Tatum and Brown. Those are your scores. Now, Smart, you know, he'll shoot those three-pointers. They're always clutch. You know why? Because he's not taking – usually, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. It seems like he's not taking those three-pointers all the time. It's towards the end of a game, and that's why they're so clutch. Because after a while, people sag off of Marcus Smart, and he goes, okay, I'll take a three. Boom, he'll make it. That's what happened on Thursday. I agree see- with that. <laughs> you see Draymond Green take a three? It's Draymond almost Green laughable. three. I mean, but they all sagged off, and I think it, it was in the third or fourth quarter, whatever it was, he just went, oh, I got to take one. And he took it, and it didn't even hit the rim. It hit, like, the side of the backboard without yeah, hitting the rim. It's not even close when he misses. You know, he was better earlier in his I career. Even at Michigan State, he could shoot. I don't know what it is, and he does so many other things well. Although I also think, I mean, I, I don't like when fouls are called at the end of the game. I always say you let more go, basically. But he should have gotten that second technical, I feel, when he got mixed up with Jalen Brown. Well, we'll get, we'll get to Let's ju- not jump all over the place. Let's stay with the topic at hand. We can bring that up in another segment. So going back to why I think the Boston Celtics are going to beat the Golden State Warriors is, uh, number one, uh, uh, they're, they're, I think Draymond's going to get thrown out of a game. And remember the Pisces, the Pisces deal, the Zodiac <laughs> sign? It has been proven according – well, the, if Draymond Green does not get thrown out of a game, the Golden State Warriors will win. That's according to, like, Zodiac signs or us. Because – Pisces is the strongest emotional personality in the NBA, and some of your best players are Pisces. And um, anyway, it's a long story. <laughs> Jason Tatum is more is you is is isn't as inconsistent as um, say Clay Thompson. Oh sure. Jason okay. Tatum's a stud. Uh, Brown is going to be up there. He just got in foul trouble. If that doesn't happen again, Al Horford does uh, crazy little things that don't show up on a stat board. Um, Williams, the center, great rim protector. I think he's had six blocks in the last two games. And Marcus Smart, a great defender. And uh, you know what? A great defender and kind of an, an, uh, a culture center, a, a culture setter on the court where you want to be bad, bad Leroy Brown. Well, that's your guy who's going to set the culture and let everyone know Celtics are not to be messed with. And then coming off the bench, you got Grant Williams, who wasn't taking anything from uh, Draymond Green. But Grant Williams, why didn't he start? Is it because Al Horford? Yeah, I don't get that. Why doesn't he start? No, why didn't he start? He started the last game, I thought. No, he doesn't start. 
Okay. Anyway, you got Grant Williams uh, uh, coming off the bench. Tice is okay. He can give you a, a spell a little bit. Derek White, you know, a guy plays 30 minutes, great defense, and he, you know, he blocking the shots at the rim, and uh, that guy's an all-around stud. Pritchard's off and on, depending on how much he plays. So I think you've got good depth, and you've got good starters, and you need, you have enough scores for the Boston Celtics. When you look at the um, Golden State Warriors, you got Draymond Green, who is an uh, inch away from being kicked out of any game he plays in. And he played great defense. Yeah. He played great defense. Nothing on offense. Although he was two of three for, he's five of seven for free throws. That's pretty amazing. Career high. Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins, to me, up and down. Kevon Looney, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll play good for you, be solid for about 20 minutes a game. Steph Curry is Steph Curry. Clay Thompson is, um, as we talked about, Clay Thompson. I mean, four of nineteen shooting. Come on, man. Wait a minute. If you're going to say that about Clay, what about Jalen Brown? Five of seventeen. Because that Jalen Brown, that happened one game. Jalen Brown is a lot more consistent than Clay Thompson. Don't argue it. Look it up and prove me wrong. Okay. Otto, you know, Otto Porter's played uh, pretty good in the few minutes that he's been in there. Uh, coming off the bench. And then uh, I don't know how to say the guy's name, the, the Spanish guy. Is it Spanish? Bajelica. Do you know how to say it, Keegan? I believe it's Belica. Belica. I, I thought Be- the J Zelica. was silent, I thought. But you see that guy go in, he goes in for like three minutes at a time. And he was, he was yeah. pretty good. I mean, pretty good defensively. He scored and, you know, got a, uh, some rebounds. I, I, was, I don't know. Anyway, I think they've got some guys and they have better. The Golden State Warriors have better depth than they did last year, of course. But you know what? They're still not there yet. I don't think they have as much talent as the Boston Celtics. Okay. I will retort a little bit later. We do have a a guest coming on from Boston in a minute, but I will retort what you said in a few minutes after that. All right. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. We've been talking NBA final. They'll take a little break. They'll be back on Wednesday, Wednesday and Friday in Boston. This is the Sports Animals with Gary Dickman and Chris Hart on ESPN Honolulu. We're going to get into it from the Celtics perspective. That's right. Uh, on your home of the NBA finals, John Carolus joins us now from the Locked On Celtics podcast and bostonsportsbusiness.com. Check out his book, The Boston Celtics All-Stars, All-Time All-Stars. Aloha, John. Welcome to the show. Are you enjoying the finals? Oh yeah, man, it's great. This is my first uh, my first finals that I'm covering, so this is a, it's a fun time. John, how do you go from game one, or not you, but the Celtics, where they just played <laughs> unbelievable against Golden State, and then yesterday, especially in the second half, just couldn't get it done? What was different, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not different as far as what their track record is. The up and down Celtics. Right now, win one, lose one. It's been tough for them to win a couple in a row, uh, unless their backs are against the wall like it was in, in Milwaukee. Uh, what happened in game two was uh, it's, it began with some quick shooting, you know, shooting early in the shot clock, then turnovers, a lot of turnovers. They gave up 33 points off of 19 turnovers, five turnovers for 11 points in the third quarter when the um, Warriors went on that huge run. So the turnovers were killers, and then once once you give the Warriors that kind of opportunity to go out there and uh, start banging some threes, you're toast. You just buried under an avalanche of three-pointers, 
and that was it. It went from six points to 20 points in a blink. We were talking a few wow. minutes ago about Al Horford, and on Thursday he had a fantastic game. He usually doesn't shoot quite that well or put up 26 on every night, but he's usually right around 20 for most of his career. But how do you go to two points yesterday? Also, Marcus Smart, great game Thursday, and he only had two points yesterday. Yeah, yeah I mean, they did a great job on Al Horford. They switched up the, the matchups a bit. They put Clay Thompson on Al. So uh, Clay is not quite his normal defensive self, so he's had trouble kind of keeping up with Jalen Brown and, and the quicker guards. So they put him on Al Horford, who's not as quick, and, 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 you know, Clay was able to play some really good defense on him. And then, you know, Marcus was, you know, he just had a, a bad night. Uh, you know, I don't think they did anything special to, to keep Marcus at bay. I think what they did is just basically stayed home on a lot of the shooters rather than help off of some of these shooters like they did in game one. And, you know, when, when you help off of somebody and a couple guys get rolling, it's one of those things that can be contagious. The, the, the ball starts going in for everybody. So uh, they, they did adjust to Al Horford and, you know, put Draymond Green on Jalen Brown, who, you know, Draymond did a good job on Jalen after the first quarter. And, uh, yeah, then you saw the role players just kind of fall by the wayside. We're talking Boston Celtics basketball with John Corrales, who's with the BostonSportsJournal.com, also the Locked On Celtics podcast, and the author of the book, The Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. So, John, now that we're tied one game apiece, what adjustment does Boston have to do at home this week? Well, I mean, take care of the ball for one. Be a little bit crisper. You know, stop getting so deep into the teeth of the defense. Get off the ball quick and move and cut. Like, I'd like to see a little bit more passing and cutting than we've seen. Uh, it's a little too much ISO for you know my taste, a little too much ISO against that defense that has tried to load up a little bit. And, you know, I, I'd like to see Jason Tatum start to, to really focus on attacking the rim. I really think that Tatum is, is still in some old habits from the Miami and the Milwaukee series where he was hunting for fouls and trying to create points at the line because – Miami and Milwaukee, they defend the rim extraordinarily well. The the Warriors don't to that level, and I think it's, it's, uh, Tatum needs to just start to make his move more, more decisively, uh, play with a little bit more force, play off two feet more, just be stronger in general and, and kind of play through the opponent rather than trying to draw them into fouls. Just play through them, and they'll foul you no matter what. So... Just a little bit, a little bit of, of, of all of that. You know, when you look at the Celtics from where they were at the beginning of the season or even in mid-January, from where they have come now, the best record in the NBA, we know that Coach Ime Uduka deserves a lot of credit for that. How was he able to achieve so much in his rookie season as a head coach? Yeah, I, I think he, he came in with a, a stated goal. You know, when you, when you are dealing with new people as a leader, you, you set the goals – you set the expectations. You tell them, this is how things are going to be. I'm going to be this, this, and this, and you live up to that. And, and they respected the fact that he told them, I'm going to coach you hard. We're going to, this is how we're going to play. This is how I want to do things, and we're going, to, we're going to do it this way. And if we don't, we're going to have problems. And he's held people accountable. And in January, when things were not going well, the team had just blown a 25-point lead to the New York Knicks and they realize, like, when we do things the coach's way, we're okay. And when we do things our way, we're not. Uh, and they just started to buy in more to what the coach was, was selling. Once they did that, and then on top of that, you start to get healthier. 
and they traded Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson, got it back. Daniel Tice got back Derek White. Derek White's been huge. I think the trades and the buy-in combined at completely turned around the season. I follow you on Twitter at John underscore Corrales, and I see today or the last 24 hours quite a few fans were complaining about the officiating yesterday. <laughs> and we were talking a few minutes ago just very briefly about Draymond Green and, you know, not getting that text that he deserved it. What is your take on the officiating, and specific, uh, specifically Draymond Green and that play with Jalen Brown? Yeah, uh, look, the, the double tech is something that's called to kind of prevent things. I, I, I'm not a fan of the double tech anyway. So not calling it there fine with it. I don't care. I know that they're saying he, he already has a technical foul, so you don't want to eject him for something like that. I agree with that, actually. You know, you, as long as he didn't kick somebody in the face, I mean, I think, I think it's fine. I think situational officiating like that is fine. Uh, they did let him get away with some things, though, um, you know, some hooks. So there was one, there's one video that's circulating around the, the Internet where it looks like he's run-blocking. Yeah. Which seems a little outrageous. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they, they certainly miss calls, but they miss calls on both sides. Fans love to complain about the officiating; they just love to do it. I hate it because my my in my opinion, if you are worried about the officiating and if it comes down to them blowing the whistle, then you've probably done five or ten other things leading up to that play that could have been better that would have negated the impact of that whistle. So I, I don't like to focus on that kind of stuff. Some games it's tough, and I'm sure people think that last game was one of them. One of them, and you know, guys got into foul trouble and stuff. But they, look, they were still down two at halftime, and only down six with 4:17 to go in the third quarter. They had plenty of opportunity to make plays and be in that game and not have it be a blowout. So you can't you can't blame the refs for what happened in the final four minutes of the third quarter. That's on the Celtics for not defending and for turning the ball over too much. Hey, John, I thought one one call was one non-call was pretty good. They went to review it. I remember it was a um, uh, Jordan Poole fell to the ground. I can't remember. I think it was Derek White who kind of fell Derek on White. top of him. Yep, Derek White. Play. Yeah, Derek White. He gets up to go, you know, jump over his body to run down the court. Poole puts his hands up to protect himself, and then uh, White falls down. They blow the whistle, and I was glad that they called that, like, no, there was no evil intent, in other words. That was a good call. That was a good, good call. That was a good, that was a good, I think, in the sense that it was accurate. But I'll tell you what, the, what shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have stopped the play because the Celtics were on a fast break, right? The Celtics were, were in transition, they had an opportunity to score, and, they blew the whistle to stop the Celtics' offensive possession. Then they gave the tech, they reviewed it, and then they took everything away. So all they ended up doing was allowing the Warriors to set their, set their possession, set their defense, and, you know, that's, that, penalized, that penalized the Celtics. And that, that's what you don't want to do. Either, you, you either have to say, well, we blew the whistle and we're just going to stick to the technical foul, or, like, you, at some point as the ref, you got to sit there and be like, I blew it, but I can't penalize the offensive team for blowing it, so I still have to give them the technical foul. Like, you, 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 there, there are circumstances there. I do think the Celtics were disadvantaged by that. Um, but, you know, for accuracy, accuracy's sake, 
they did get it right, but they also hurt the Celtics in the process there. Hey, John, we only got about a minute left, but could you tell our listeners about this great book? I'm very interested in it, The Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, it's a book that I wrote. Uh, we're, we're looking back at the Celtics history, and what I did was I picked a player at each position to start and a player at each position as a reserve. So two point guards, two shooting guards, all the way through, then two wild cards and two coaches, a, a head coach and an assistant. So it's a, it's a fun way to look back through Celtics history. I think some of the choices are going to be obvious, right? Like Larry Bird is your starting small forward. You know, Bill Russell is your starting center. Like they, that's pretty obvious stuff. But there were some debates that I had with myself about the others. Um, I, think, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's a kind of a history lesson and a good way to acknowledge some of the guys, especially in the 70s, who, you know, 70s in the NBA is kind of a lost era. So it was a lot of fun to kind of go back and and look at those guys and give some guys their due, some recognition. Sounds like a fun read. Definitely we will check it out. I see see here that you can get it at uh, Google Books. I've never heard of (laughs) googlebooks.com, but uh, lots um, it's on paperback. Yeah, and and Amazon.com and paperback. So uh, check it out, folks. The Boston Celtics all-time all-stars. John, thanks thank so you, much guys. for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Thank you, John Corrales. With the Locked on Celtics podcast, the author of the book we just mentioned, the Boston Celtics all-time all-stars, and a writer for the bostonsportsjournal.com, joining us on ESPN Honolulu. Some interesting perspective from the Celtics point of view about officiating and everything else but we know it's going to be a, a great series now that we're tied one game apiece i won't say the obvious because chris is going to make me give out a prize but uh fun series so far all righty then hey time for some sports shorts are you ready gary yes i am this is espn honolulu if you want to text in the show uh use the zephyr insurance text line 808-296-1420 the Carolina Panthers have re-signed wide receiver Keith Kirkwood, formerly a Hawaii Rainbow Warrior. That was announced today. Kirkwood has been, if you were wondering where he was, last two seasons he's been playing in Carolina. He's been injured a lot lately, so he's had minimal playing time. But, uh, yep, they, uh, made, they, poor, they had to cut somebody else to make room for him. But uh, former Rainbow Warrior Keith Kirkwood, has been re-signed by the Panthers. That's good news. Yeah, and I believe it was with New Orleans before that. He's had actually a pretty you know right. long NFL career by all standards. I think fourth or fifth year at least overall. Yeah. And uh, today, after going one for three in their loss to UCLA, seven to three, Hawaii's Jocelyn Alo in the second game against UCLA, they they win fifteen to nothing. She goes four for four with three runs scored and seven RBI. Wow. Talk about awaking a sleeping giant. Because first game, I think they got a total of like like four hits against UCLA. And I thought, you know, UCLA is good. All of these teams in the, the Women's College World Series are good, right? Yeah. But, I mean, to go for Jocelyn Allo, one of three. She, had, she struck out once. She only got up to bat three times because they only got four hits, the team. But she right. struck out once, she flied out to center once, and then she had like a blooper single. And uh, that was it. But, boy, they came back, and they came back in a big way 
to make it to the finals of the College World Series, and that is going to be against the winner of, well, actually, Texas and uh, Oklahoma State are playing now. Texas was leading the last time I saw, and if Texas wins, then they're going to play again in a double elimination game uh, against Oklahoma State because Texas got one loss. I'm sorry, Keegan. So winner take all playing right now. Okay, so Texas did win. It's winner take all playing right now, Oklahoma State and Texas. Thank you back there in the PAXA studios. So anyway, uh, congratulations, Jocelyn Lowe, four for four, seven RBI. Her 120th home run was a grand slam. And uh, finally, Paul Johnson, former University of Hawaii offensive coordinator, uh, is on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. And uh, hopefully he gets in as a coach for Navy and Georgia Southern. Coming up next, somebody they left off the ballot, and it might make you a little mad. We'll do that next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that uh, former University of Hawaii offensive coordinator Paul Johnson is on the ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. Of course, he was the, uh, uh, it doesn't mention Hawaii, but uh, head coach for Navy from 2002 to 2007. Before that, for Georgia Southern. And then the head coach of Georgia Tech for 10 years. So overall, head coaching record, 189 and 100. And that's not bad considering, you know, a lot of these guys, these great coaches, their overall records would be better because, you know, a lot of times they're turning teams around. Like June Jones overall as a, as a coach, he had to turn around Hawaii, right? Yeah. At, at SMU, he kind of turned them around. Now, turned them around pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, that's kind of cool. That yeah. uh, a guy with Hawaii ties, if he can get into the College Football Hall of Fame, that would be very, very cool. Now, a couple of guys who should be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Number one, June Jones. Number two, Colt Brennan. Yeah. Why isn't Colt Brennan in the College Football Hall of Fame? Here's an answer right here. I got the answer. Okay, okay. The answer is he was never a first-team All-American. And that's the criteria for getting into the College Football Hall of Fame if you're a player. Um, with June Jones, the um, I guess it's his win percentage. His win percentage is, you know, he took Hawaii from 0-12 to 9-4 his first season there, right? Yeah. Eight years later, they're in the Sugar Bowl. And then he takes SMU to their first bowl game since their famous death penalty, their infamous death penalty, totally turning around two programs. But I guess the win-loss record wasn't whatever it's supposed to be. So he is not in the College Football Hall of Fame. You know, there are so many guys in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. <laughs> if you had that and you said that's like in the Pro Football Hall of Fame saying, hey, you know what? You can only go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame if you're a first-round draft choice. 
or first-team All-Pro? Um, maybe. I think most of the guys in the uh, in the Hall of Fame probably were in a first-team All-Pro. There's a difference, right? Okay. But, you know, guys like Sam Mills, remember him? Yeah. The yeah. little linebacker? Sam Mills, or um, he didn't get in this past time. What's his name? The small linebacker. Small and slow middle linebacker for the Miami Dolphins. I'm not talking about Nick Bonacani after him. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. These guys are, you know, somebody like Jerry Rice. Was Jerry Rice a first-round draft choice? I can't remember. Anyway, what I'm getting at is it's silly to say you're only eligible if you're a first-team All-American. It doesn't make sense to me. To do that. Now, first of all, you have about 80 players who are eligible to be voted on. The good thing I like about this is the college football, the voters, there's about 12,000 voters. So you get a great, it's not like 11 guys voting in their friends. But you have about 80 players that are nominated. They should somehow kind of whittle that down a little bit. I don't know. Now, they can change their rules. You see... They can change this and take out you, you need to be a first-team All-American. They can change their rules because they've done it before. Back in the past, if you face some kind of disciplinary action, you know, like Reggie White, you had your Heisman taken away from you. Reggie well, Bush. Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush, sorry. Reggie White, totally different person. Reggie Bush, if you're Reggie Bush and you have your Heisman taken away, they're like, hey, not eligible, sorry. But now this year, Reggie Bush is, is he's available. Right, right. He's on the ballot, and he should be voted in because he was great. So that's kind of weird to me. But on this ballot includes Tim Tebow, Alex Smith, Ryan Leaf. I wonder, Tim Tebow, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Sure. Some would consider him one of the best college football players of all time. Ryan Leaf was great in college, but I wonder if what happened to him later in his pro career affects college voters because he just kind of went off the deep end. He was a jerk, he was immature, and then he turned to a life of crime. I wonder if people keep him off the college football hall of fame because what he did after leaving college. So on the other end of the spectrum, subversely, is it subversely, is that the word I'm using? Alex Smith, oh, he was great in college at Utah, number one draft choice overall. But does he get in because of his unreal bravery later on in his NFL career? I wonder. I don't know. It's it's kind of cool, though. Neither of that should be on the on the minds of the voters because it says college football. Oh, I know, Hall of, of course. So of course. I hope but, they don't but, consider that. But, of course, I mean, you hope they don't consider a lot of things. If O.J. Simpson was up for the Pro Football Hall of Fame today, he would not make it in. Right. And I Because think that's just how people in. vote. Yeah. Right. But that's just how people vote. They should change think... the rules, though, because, I mean, Colt Brennan, I mean, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. We're not being biased. That's a no-brainer. I mean, that shouldn't be just if you're a first team All-American. Right. That, that's when, really... when, you, when, you when you end your career and you have the record of 58 touchdown passes in a season and you're number one in career passing yards per game 388 yards a game something tells me 
you belong in the Hall of Fame. And if he did that on the pro level, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He really would. So we, we should write to the College Football Hall of Fame and get him to change. But anyway, on the brighter side, at least we have somebody who has a chance to get in with Hawaii Connections, Coach Paul Johnson. Good stuff. ESPN Radio Sports Center, uh, ESPN Honolulu Sports Center with Keegan Ota. That is coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu. Does Draymond Green, did he deserve to get ejected from that game yesterday? Also, uh, Aaron Donald is now the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. And yes, Phil Mickelson has officially entered the dark side of the force. All that coming up with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. I'm Gary Dickman. I'm Chris Hart. We're the Sports Animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. And uh, happy Father's Day, folks. We've got a Father's Day contest going on. We're just looking for, you know, the world's most handsomest dad ever. All the details, ESPNHonolulu.com. Here's a guy that's kind of handsome, uh, Gary Dickman. Oh, thank you. And yeah, no, no problem. The uh, okay, so we argued off the air before the, we even started this little radio hour, this radio show, that uh, you know, in a fun way, a sports yeah, argument, sports debate. Yeah. Draymond Green, I thought that you heard that there were a lot of people with with uh, complaints about the the officiating. Yeah. So that would have been Boston Celtics fans. Yes, they were. Yes, because Jordan Poole on that one where he, him and uh, Derek White fell down. Derek White jumped over him. He went to protect himself. Derek White fell down and thought he should get fouled. Right? Uh, it should be a technical foul because it was, what do they call it? Uh, bad intent or something. A movement with bad intent. A non-basketball play might be the way to describe no, it. No, well. it's something else where they talk about your the attitude of your 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 mind frame. Anyway. So they called it, they decided that that wasn't a technical foul, and it was good. And then Draymond Green and, oh, I forgot who it was. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. So they're doing something, and they're getting all tangled up. Because Draymond Green is doing this, and we were talking with John, is it Carolus or Carolus? Carolus. Okay. John, John Carolus, when we were talking to him from, uh, he's got a Celtics podcast earlier. We were talking with him, and he, was, he he described the move of Draymond Green as um, as a run blocking, <laughs> because he would get himself under Grant Williams' shoulder, whoever it was, and just plow forward. And he didn't. I, yeah, I think he got called for that one, right? I don't know. As it was three technical? people on one play. He went through three people. The videos on John's Twitter page, but three people he run blocked basically. Right. Okay. So anyway. He got one technical in that game, yes, uh, uh, yeah, yesterday. And then he was about to get what you thought maybe he could have been thrown out. So him and I forgot you just told me who it Jaylen was. Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. Him and Jalen Brown, they get a little tangled up. They fall to the ground. And LeBron James, uh, LeBron James, Draymond Green, instead of just turning over and standing up, he still lays on his back and makes sure that his feet just kind of hang into Jalen Brown's face. It was so. It was something that a big brother does to a little brother. The little brother got the front seat of the car, so the big brother's going to flick his ear from the back seat. 
or he's going to give him a wet willy or do something. And it's like, Mom, tell him to stop. You're like, I'm not doing anything. That was Draymond Green. You might think of it as childish, but he, according to Draymond, he had to give his team, quote, unquote, an attitude adjustment. But we'll get into that in a second. I say it was a good non-foul. Just be a uh, technical call. Just because what really happened when he did that? Jalen Brown kind of pushed him. They fell to the ground. He put his feet in his face. And then Jalen Brown threw his feet off his face. And then he nudged him in the back like, hey, don't do that. And then Jalen Brown stands up. Draymond Green's going to stand up because you want to go face to face. You can't be a, you can't be a, you know, you can't make a, you know, macho man. You can't make big body by sitting on the ground while the other guy's standing up, right? Yeah. If you want to make big body, you got to go face to face, chest to chest. So he pulled himself up. He pulled himself up by Jalen Brown's pants. <laughs> Luckily, those NBA jerseys are really, really long. And then he got up, and then they got into each other's faces, and the refs broke it up. And that was all. So there was really no harm, no foul. So I thought it was good to not call a technical, what should have been a double technical, which would be Brown's first, Draymond's second, Draymond's out of the game at that point. I thought it was a good non-call. I, I thought it was a bad non-call, and here's a few reasons why. And I heard Steve Javi on the television broadcast say officials are aware that if a second technical might get him ejected, they might not call it because of that. But by that virtue, wouldn't you do the same if a guy has five fouls and not call it six? I don't think you can do that. A, that's one reason. It's also a non-basketball play. He didn't have to do it. And in a game this heated, you don't want it getting out of hand. Uh, Draymond does have a reputation. And he actually mentioned something I saw on Pro Basketball Talk, that his reputation is why he didn't get the tech, because he deserves not to get called in those plays, because that's how he played. But let me remind you from 20, I think it was 2017, when he grabbed LeBron James, a little different, but on the ground, grabbed Uh, him, and he got suspended for the next game. He grabbed his hoo-hahs. He grabbed them. There's a difference between grabbing someone's pants and grabbing someone's, you know, in basketball, it should, should give you the same foul, a technical, at, at least. No way. Way. Grabbing someone's pants? It that's wasn't a just that. Foul? With the feet? With the feet? Yeah, you could get caught. If you're, if you're holding on to a guy's pants and he's trying to move, and he wasn't really trying to move, I know, you can't do that. It was a non-basketball play. The whistle's already blown, and you're extending oh, it, maybe gosh. causing a little extracurricular activity. <laughs> but again, according to Steve Javi, they made it sound like he deserved the technical. He's just not getting it because it would have been a second. So mm-hmm. they're almost acknowledging that he deserved it. But, again, go back to Cleveland five right. years ago. Right. What they're doing is they're saying by the letter of the law, there should be a double technical. But you're, and, and that would be, it would be a good ref would do that. But an even better ref would look at the consequences and how it affects the game. So that was excellent refereeing. According to the expert who's hired by the network because he's the best of the best, he knows what he's talking about. So I'm going to go with the expert in this situation. You and I have just traded places over the last five years because I always say you let the calls go at the end of a game. You don't call them. Now you're saying. And I was going to bring that up. (laughs) And I was just going to bring that up because you (laughs) always say you don't call that at the end of the game. Well, if a foul is a foul is a foul, you call those at the end of the game. Whether it's in the the, the back of the end zone, (laughs) a little tug on the shirt, you call that now. You can't go both ways, Dickman. Get off the fence. I'm not, but you are now, too, if I am, because we're both reversing our normal way of viewing it. And it wasn't I'm 100% because... the other way now. 
It wasn't because this was in the second quarter and not at the end of the game. But I just think that was a little too far. It didn't bother me that he didn't get it, but I think he deserved it. And the reasoning almost didn't make sense. But, again, go back to Cleveland and Golden State when LeBron LeBron got grabbed. And Draymond Green, probably to most people, cost his team a championship by missing game five. They lost at home, which they never did. Game six in Cleveland, an easy win for Cleveland. And then game seven, all bets are off, Kyrie Street at the end. I wish it didn't have to happen. I think Draymond crossed that line a little too much. I love him as a player, and it didn't get any more out of hand, thankfully, but still I think the referee should have called that at that part of the game, regardless of what it cost him. That I don't like. I say at the end of a game you let things go, yes, but I don't think you don't call a foul because it's a sixth. Do you, I mean, that's just, do you yeah. don't call it travel because the team is down by one? I mean, where would you draw the line on what you don't call then? Yeah, that's well, that's just how they do. That's that's how that's that's sports and how you referee the game. That you don't call a fumble on Tom Brady in the tuck rule because hey, you know, I mean, at the end of the game, I mean, you know, and Raiders fans will never accept right. that. But that's what they do. That's what they do, right? That's well, what I don't actually. I don't think they should do it. Hmm. But in this case, I can see how. I, to, to me, it wasn't something that was so flag flag flag. I was going to say fragrant. It didn't smell good. It wasn't very fragrant. It wasn't flagrant either. His foot touched his head. He pushed his foot off of him. He yanked his pants down to try and stand up, and they had words. Really? You're going to kick somebody out of a game for that? You're not kicking them out. You're only calling a technical. That's the difference. I know. I know. But at the same time, I didn't even think that was technical worthy. It was a couple of guys, you know, mouthing off at each other really is what it was. But they I don't think it that's worthy of a foul. I, I know, but that because, you know, and that's – I don't want to say that's okay or that's him and he should get an extra pass because that's how he plays. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I just didn't think it was that, that big a deal. It was like, okay, shut up, you guys. Let's get back to watching the game. Let's get the game going. To me, it wasn't that bad, really. That's I fair. don't even think it was a technical for Jordan Poole. Say he did reach up and, you know, pull his leg while he's trying to jump over him. Really, a technical foul? Because you're impeding him from going. You're not, you're not allowing him to go in full stride on a fast break. In that it's like uh, if, like, I'm about to get beat for a touchdown. I'm going to tackle this guy. I'm going to, I'm going to run up and tackle this guy before he gets the ball because he's beat me. Well, you did a smart play because you got a 15-yard penalty instead of giving up a touchdown. They should align it kind of that way. It's, it's, uh, it's a little cray cray, but I can see. How people complained about the officiating if they were Boston fans. Yeah. And yeah. if you were Golden State Warrior fans, you said, yeah, that's how they do it. It was absolutely fantastic. You, you know, know Draymond Green came out and he said that um, he needed to play because he was, it was a little, after a little while, I didn't get what he was doing. I thought he was just being extra jerky, like an extra jerk, and you know, because he was just in everyone's faces. Yeah, yeah. You know, his run-blocking moves, his getting constantly tangled up with Grant Williams. It's like any anybody he came in contact with, he was like in their face. And I was like, dude, just play basketball. Now, he says after the game, well, I did that on purpose. I, I do that, and it makes my team get fired up. Do you believe that? Sometimes. I don't think that was what he was thinking yesterday at the time. I think it's a convenient answer. And they had him mic'd up when he was telling Grant Williams, you want to be me, you want to be me, you want you ain't me. You're never going to be me. 
And then with Jalen Brown, he <laughs> goes, I'm funny. not moving, I'm not moving, I ain't going to move. And you could see what he was saying. He was getting in their faces. I kind of yeah. like that in a way, but, I mean, you know, you, the way you present it now, I'm actually having second thoughts, which I didn't think I would on Draymond and that tech. You don't want it to get out of hand, but I don't think you call it differently because it would have been a second tech. That's, I guess, my main point. That I don't, I, I don't like that way of thinking. Yeah, and I, I thought it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was it was interesting. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, Steph Curry's doing his Steph Curry thing, and he sees Draymond mouthing off all game. Is, is Steph Curry going, yeah, I'm fired up. Let's go run through a wall for Draymond. I don't know if that translates. Now, it yeah. could, I've never played in the NBA. As you know, my basketball career uh, stopped after the sixth-grade all-star lunchtime league. And, uh, you know, that's my – At least you're an all-star. Hey, that's right. We lost to the fifth graders in the assembly at lunchtime, but I was an all-star for the sixth graders. It's a uh, quarter after four with the animals. This is ESPN Honolulu and uh, Richard Deitch uh, from The Athletic. He's a sports media specialist. He's got a sports media podcast, too. He's going to join us coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. And we are efforting to get Richard Deitch from The Athletic, talk about sports media. Uh, he's always a very entertaining guest. He used to be with Sports Illustrated. I'm feeling that we will have him. It's now, I believe he's in Toronto right now, but we should get him any second. Now, we'll get to your text coming up in a little bit via the Zephyr Insurance text line on ESPN Honolulu. Okay, I wanted to bring up something. I don't know when Richard's joining us, but I wanted to throw this out there now, and then we'll get more into it. Uh, Gary Payton. We know who he is, the glove, and we know his son is on the Golden State Warriors right now. Came back from that, uh, I think it was a fractured elbow in that Memphis series. And he's a good player. And Gary Payton, if you might have, you might have noticed yesterday at the game, was wearing a T-shirt where it says Gary Payton and has a cover, uh, picture of dad when he was on Seattle getting covered by son. I believe it's in his Golden State uh, jersey. Cool shirt. But here's a quote by Gary Payton that I wanted to expand on. I think it's interesting. He says, our era, and remember he played basically uh, in the 90s, early 2000s, might have been, I don't know if he was in basketball in the late 80s, but the 90s, Seattle went to two straight finals, lost to the Bulls. Here he goes. Our era was about defense, being rough, getting out there, and getting it done. This era, this is from Gary Pate, so it says, this era today is about shooting threes, getting up and down, and entertainment. I think the 90s was the best era ever. Now, that's an interesting thing. I want to get everybody's take on that, including Chris, and I'll give mine at 808-296-1420. First of all, when Gary Payton says being rough, getting out there, and getting it done, that doesn't really define it that specifically, getting it done, getting out there. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of very general. But he's right about the era where it was a lot more physical, the bad boys, the physicality, the bulls, the Knicks, compared to today with a three-point shooting. Now, I'm, I know I'm more get-off-my-lawn guy, old school and all that, but not old I like school. Today. Yeah, old. Oh, that's Just it. old. That's okay. I like today's basketball better, <laughs> and here's the main reason. Even though you would get games in the 90s, 86, 81, and you'd have finals games in the 70s, and 
you know, what Boston did yesterday was very unique, only getting 88. I always say I'd rather, I'd rather see a football game that's 49-40. I mean, if my team wins 7 nothing, I'm okay. I want to see offense. I want to see three-pointers. I want to see the ball moving. Defense is a skill, and I'll appreciate it, but I like this era of basketball more than the 90s, even though you had Jordan and everybody else. I like the high-scoring game. It's an interesting comparison on his end. Uh, and, again, I love that era from the 90s and the 80s, but I do like what's going on in basketball more. It's so different with the three-point shooting, and I gave out numbers the other day. A lot of teams have half of their field goal attempts are three-pointers, which is crazy. That's the new basketball. That's the new normal nowadays. I, I kind of am used to it, and I do like it better than the 90s. What about you, Chris? Well, Gary, thank you. The uh, Okay, he's right. He's talking about entertainment, and you didn't have – in the 80s, you had you needed, you know, Magic and Bird to really kind of bring back the league. Yeah, uh, it was dying. And then they, you know, it got they got you know Michael Jordan, and then in the 90s, right? 90s. Michael he started Jordan, like yeah, 86, 90s. but the 90s when they won the championships. Right, is when he was, you know, he was anyway. So you got Michael Jordan in the 90s, and then you had all the teams in the East that were just beating up each, on each other, literally. And then they figured, then as you went along, they figured out, oh, okay. First of all, basketball was huge worldwide. It got saved, it was saved by Magic and Bird, where you wouldn't have tape delayed broadcast. <laughs> yeah. And then the NBA brought it to the next level and went worldwide with the popularity of Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan brought this product worldwide, they realized how much money they can make in television contracts, not only in this country, but in China and everywhere else, that the NBA would license itself. It became a worldwide sport. It's what the NFL is trying to do, but hasn't been successful at. So, number one, one of the reasons it's uh, it's a worldwide attraction is these are the best athletes in the world. These are, but you want to protect your athletes. If you're going to have Draymond Green come down and club somebody over the head, club uh, Steph Curry over the head when he's going on for a layup, well, you can't have that. You can't hurt your superstars. It's why they've changed the rules to protect quarterbacks in the NFL. Not because they're babies or anything. It's, hey, those are the stars. We want to protect our stars. That's number one. Number two, offense sells. What do they say? Right. Chicks dig the home run or whatever it is. Dig the long ball, yeah. They dug. They dig the long ball in baseball. They dig the three-pointer in basketball. They dig the passing game in football. So if that's what people want to see, you got to change the rules to give it to them. And the more people see that, see, you're going to watch basketball no matter what the rules are. If they had the same rules when Gary Payton played, you'd still be watching it. If it's wide open, Steph Curry and Jason Tatum bombing threes back and forth, you're still going to watch it. The NBA doesn't care about you. They have you. They care (laughs) about me. They care about my wife. They care about my children. That's who they need. People that aren't quite, you know, they'll watch. They'll watch the big games. They'll watch when there's playoffs. All of a sudden, you're watching more and more. Now I'm a follower of Luka Doncic. I'm watching all the Mavericks games, right? It's what's developing as a P2 user to a P1 user. That's what you're trying to do in any kind of marketing. 
whether you're at a radio station, you're at Sam's Club, you're in a TV network or whatever. You want to keep your P1, your most loyal people, and then you want to take your secondary users and convert them into your most loyal people. And then the people that only watch because someone else is watching, you want to make them fans, and they become your secondary viewers or your P2 viewers, and you keep moving them up as you go along. And the NBA has been able to do that, and the NFL has been able to do that better than anybody else, those two leagues. You know who's trying to figure it out and can't figure it out? Major League Baseball, college football, college basketball, and there are some other ones after that. You're going to have hockey. Hockey hasn't been able to figure it out. NASCAR hasn't been able to figure it out. It's really the NBA and the NHL and the NBA and the NFL that everybody is kind of paying attention to. And, you know, it's people who aren't huge fans, but they're still watching or they're paying attention. They're interested if it's a playoff game or a close game or there's a star player playing. It's like you are going to, you don't want, I want the golf channel. They don't need to market to me. I'm there already. Hook, line, and sinker. But they want Gary Dickman to watch. They're going to make sure that they feature as much as they can on Tiger Woods. Right, right. Problem is, we need somebody after Tiger Woods. And they don't have that yet. Now, there's guys that I love. I, 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 Will Zalatoris is in contention. I'm like, <laughs> woo! Cancel everything. I'm watching. You're like, what's a Will Zalatoris? Is that the, is that the machine the hockey guys use to clear out the ice? <laughs> Get on the Zalatoris and, and, and clean up the ice. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's so amazing. It's isn't it isn't it super super interesting though? Yes. That only two leagues have been able to do it. You know what they also have though? I wonder if this makes so much of a difference in their climb upward. Most more people bet on the NBA and the NFL than those other sports you mentioned. And now that they're involved with DraftKings and all that, FanDuel, uh-huh. I wonder if that helps their exposure and viewership. You know, but that's a byproduct of being the most popular thing. So when I'm in Las Vegas and you're like, hey, Chris, bet on the Oilers versus the Avalanches. I'll be like, no, thank you, because I want to bet on it and then watch the game. I got somebody to root for. Mm. I don't want to watch a hockey game. Now I'll bet on the Kentucky Derby because that's two minutes of my life, right? (laughs) It's just a three-hour wait for that two minutes. But anyway, if, um, if, if we know just a little bit, we understand the rules of basketball. In basketball, you you dribble, you can't carry it, you have to dribble it, and then you put it in the little round cylinder, and that's a good thing. That's two points. If you're on defense, you're trying to stop them from getting it in the round cylinder. That's all basketball is. In football, it's, okay, give me the ball. I'm going to run forward until someone tackles me. And if I make it over this little colorful area, over the green into the colorful end zone area that's painted very nice, then that's a good thing. I get points. But the other team's going to try and stop me from getting in there. It's the basic rules of rugby. It's why I can watch rugby for a little while and not get bored because it's basically the same thing. But football and basketball are so, so easy. Baseball, look at baseball fans. Baseball, people, P1 baseball fans seem to be a little bit smarter than other people because when you're watching baseball, it's a chess match. There's so many different ways to win. It's why... Baseball fans can criticize a World Series winning manager because everyone's got a different way to do it. And there's so many ways to score those runs. In football and basketball, not so much. 
You know, okay, do, use a left-handed pitcher here. Oh, take him out because he's got a righty coming in, right? Yeah. Oh, bunt yeah. here. No, don't bunt here. It's it's a marvelous sport, but it's way too complicated for the average Joe. Well said. I think also in baseball you have 162 games based on 81 for basketball. Uh, football, of course, you only, now you have 17. But anybody can win in baseball on any given day where it's not quite the same in football and basketball as far as picking winner. But the points you brought up are, are perfect, exact, are exact as well. But I think it's interesting how the, you know, those you, sports have the highest ratings and they have the gambling aspect. Right. and But they have the gambling aspect just because they are the most popular due yeah. to the simplistic nature where my wife can, if she had to, she'll sit in front of a television, like, you know, if I tied her up or something, <laughs> sit in front of a television and watch a football game, right? Yeah. She'll yeah. know what the point is. <laughs> uh, soccer, same thing. But there's not enough scoring in soccer. If you could somehow get more scoring in soccer, that would be a much pop more popular sport in America than it is right now. You're right. right? Because You're right. We're, we're, we're instant gratification people here. We need. I don't want to watch a game and go, wow, that was a great one-to-nothing battle. We don't do that. Going back to my original point, without the gambling part put in there, I, I guess you know the basketball errors I think are interesting because it's so different now. And I know last year I gave a an account of how many three pointers are shot a year by teams going back to when it first started in the low early '80s, and it was like three or four a game. To now you get like thirty or forty a game. It, it, has, it has taken over the game. It is a much different game, even in college to a yeah. certain extent. But you know I can understand yeah. Gary Payton saying, "Well, our era was better." Of course, nobody from his era is going to disagree with him. Everybody from today's era yeah. will disagree with him automatically. Right. Yeah. Oh, if, you, if, if you talk to John Riggins, you know, hey, John, who's er Franco Harris and John Riggins? Whose era was better? Actually, Franco's pretty smart. Franco go, well, the era nowadays, you don't get hit as much as they used to. Franco Harris used to famously run out of bounds all the time just to preserve his career. Hey, it's Dickman and Hart, the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu. We will have our uh, M. Dyer Global scoreboard momentarily. By the way, the Avalanches and the Oilers are tied at four. Wow. So Colorado leads this series against the New York Oilers uh, three to nothing. And on a power play, you know how dangerous that can be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be those guys? <laughs> they turn on those extra powerful skates. Where are the Oilers from? New York? Edmonton. Edmonton. Is that why you're rooting? Is that a, is that one of the boroughs? No. I'm just being boroughs. stupid. Okay. I just like the player on Edmonton, Connor McDavid. That's all. Hey, I want to say congratulations to um, University of Hawaii Hilo Athletic Department. It was announced today. They won. Actually, it was announced by Shamanad. Thank you, Kevin Hashiro. I don't know if they have an SID at UH Hilo. You remember ever getting anything from UH Hilo? Yeah, they, I forget his name, but I, I know I, somebody for basketball I talked no, to last okay. year. All right. Anyway, congratulations to uh, Hawaii UH Hilo. They won their first Pac West Hawaii Challenge. What's that, Chris? Well, that's like we were talking about University of Hawaii in the Big West, the Commissioner's Cup, right? Yeah. So that means they won. They did the best in sports. So the way it's, they've got nine sports on the PacWest level, uh, women's cross country, uh, men's and women's soccer, women's volleyball, men's and women's basketball, 
men's golf and women's tennis and then softball. Interesting, yeah. But um, you get three points if you're if you have you're number one amongst the Hawaii teams, right? Shamanad, HPU, and UH Hilo. If you're second place in those teams with between those three teams, you get two points. One point if you're third. So UH Hilo had the best of the Hawaii D2 schools. UH Hilo was number one in men's soccer, women's soccer, men's and women's basketball as well, and second best in softball, women's tennis, men's golf, and uh, volleyball. HPU, by the way, um, men's golf, which is coached by our good friend Ed Kageyama. Uh, Ed Kageyama, number one. HPU, number one in PacWest golf from Hawaii. But anyway, congratulations to the PacWest Hawaii Challenge winners. First time ever, UH Hilo. Good job, athletic director and all of the uh, athletes, uh, the Vulcans. Congratulations to my friend, Chris Leonard, coach of the Wahine, not Wahine. Are they Wahine too? Are they Vulcan Wahine? Lady Vulcans. The Lady Vulcan uh, volleyball team. Chris Leonard, good friend. Sports Center coming up at the top of the hour here on ESPN Honolulu with the Sports Animals. And our pal Keith Amamiya is joining us now. Keith appears courtesy of Amamiya for LG. You see, Keith is running for lieutenant governor, but a lot of us know Keith as the executive director, formerly, of the HHSAA. And uh, how's it going, Keith? Going great, Chris. Thank you. Hey, I, I saw this um, Hawaii surf team. They beat out like 45 different countries to win the World Junior Championships in El Salvador. I'm not sure a lot of people knew about that. Well, it just happened yesterday, and it was a great achievement. As you mentioned, you know, Hawaii had its own team um, and separate from the, the U.S., and they beat 45 countries to take home the world title for the first time in, in eight years. Uh, it's their fourth title in the 18-year history of the event. So it's uh, pretty amazing. Wow, that's pretty cool. That and, and you know what? And it's cool that they're all, like, young junior surfers. So it says maybe that uh, the in the future uh, our foundation is strong to continue to be some of the top uh, surfers in the world, which is kind of important for Hawaii. You know, they... They had, like, the world, isn't the, the world, the somewhere in California calls themselves the surfing capital of the world. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen that. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think California is claiming surfing as their official sport, which, you know, oh, I man. think a lot of us take exception to. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, you know what, and it yeah, makes but, you it makes you kind yeah. of it makes you kind of want to make sure you beat the Californians more than anybody else, just to show them what's what. Yeah, exactly. So you know this this world title proves that you know we can compete with the best uh, that the rest of the world has to offer, and and we can be the best, and so it's a great achievement. Keith Amamiya joining the animals here on ESPN Honolulu. I remember when you were. The executive director of the HHSAA, you were trying, weren't you trying to introduce surfing as a, uh, like a high school sport? Yeah, several of us were involved, including Carissa Moore, uh, in fact. And, oh. 
Uh, you know, we progress has been made, but you know, we're we're just not there yet. But I think we're getting close. Um, there was a bill in this past legislative session to provide funding for the public schools so that they can have surfing as as a sport. Uh, the the Maui Interscholastic League has had surfing as a sport, uh, official one, for several years now. I went to their championship last month on Maui, and it was well attended, well run. And so I don't see uh, why we can't have surfing here as, as a sport, just like we have football and soccer and, and all the other sports. Um, it's, I think it would be very impactful and, and a great thing to have. Yeah, certainly Title IX friendly. What do you when you talk about funding for surfing as a high school sport? Is it insurance? What what costs so much? Well, you know, uh, there's there's insurance. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's the logistics and costs of running meets because you need mm. several people to help run surf meets to to make it as safe as possible. Uh, and mm-hmm. even, you know, it's a sport, so you need uniforms for surfers and, and, and even surfboards in some cases. So there is cost, but I think it's manageable and it's just the right thing to do here in Hawaii. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, we're the birthplace of sport. And I just think of, you know, it's like um, eSports is, is very big. And that is growing, you know, faster than any other sport really in the in the in the world and there's a number of schools that play esports university of hawaii and the other colleges here have esports teams they have esports scholarships and it's like now you can take your hobby become really good at it and turn it into a college scholarship it would be the same way with surfing it's something that so many kids do and have such a passion for anyway that not only could, if you could move on to the next level or, you know, it would be, you know, maybe kick off a pro career or just get kids interested in staying in school if they're able to be on a surf team where otherwise they'd just be out surfing or causing trouble or whatever. Yeah, that's to me the, the most important reason uh, to have surfing as a sport. It, it, it's a healthy sport. It's our native mm-hmm. sport, and, and it, it provides an incentive for, for our high school students to stay in school, maintain good grades, to stay out of trouble, uh, and represent their school. It, it's all about, you know, um, creating well-rounded student-athletes in our school statewide. Yeah. I, I just got a text on the uh, Zephyr Insurance text line. Thank you guys for texting in. Huntington Beach, they say they're the surf capital of the world. That was who we were trying to think of, Huntington Beach, saying they're the surf capital. But anyway, this could have some pretty good, you know, with Hawaii, with the just the sport of surfing, you could bring it. It could have some pretty good economical impact for the state of Hawaii, even having more surf meets here and more opportunities for yeah, old it, surf meets maybe for amateurs and high schoolers and things, right? It sure could, but well, to 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 add on to Huntington Beach, I mean, the state of California ha, uh, has declared surfing as its official state sport, and it did a, did so yeah. about three years ago. So, 
But but yeah. anyway, uh, you know, surfing is an important economic driver. Now we certainly need to balance that with with uh, you know the the providing adequate opportunities for our local surfers to surf at their favorite surf spots, and then we also need to balance. Uh, the economic boon that surfing as an industry provides our state with, with you know, not allowing our, our towns like Haleiwa to be overrun by uh, tourists and traffic during the busy sports uh, or surf season, especially during the winter. But, you know, there certainly is uh, an economic impact that's positive for our state because of the high interest in surfing. Uh, across the world, really, right now. Yeah, and you know what? It's just it's just doing what sometimes, even if it costs a little more, it's doing what's right. Just doing what's right to steal from my friend John Fink. It's just it, it's 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 the right thing to do. Anyway, Keith, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much for coming on. All right, thanks a lot, Chris. Gary, take uh, care. Okay. All right, all right. There's our guy Keith Amamia joining us here on ESPN. Honolulu, a lot of really important stuff he said that hopefully we can stay kind of, you know, keep hanging on to and not giving up. Right. By the way, the, yeah, the official sport of California was signed in law by Jerry Brown, surfing, because Californians love to go surf. You know yeah. what? If you have to wear a wetsuit to go surfing, that's not natural. Sorry. <laughs> if that, you don't get I always thought that, that too. You don't call that if you got to put on a wetsuit half the, you know, six months out of the year. By the way, do you know what the official sport? Every every state has an official sport. Do you know what the official sport of Texas is? Yes. Texas. Oh, what do they boy. do in Texas? I don't. I, I can't even think of it. Rodeo. 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 Oh, that should have been obvious. What is Maryland's state sport? Uh, fishing, I don't know. Um, no, think of the Maryland helmet. With turtles. Helmet? They don't have turtles on their helmet. No, not on their helmet. Jousting. Uh, Jousting oh, is the j- state sport in Maryland. Okay. Washington State. Washington State's uh, official sport. Pickleball. Is it? Wow. Yeah, because you have to have something indoors because it's always raining in there. By the way, do you know what Hawaii's state sport is? Surfing or volleyball? Outrigger canoe paddling. Uh, okay, okay. It can't be surfing. That's California's. Well, we, why can't two st- uh, states have it? Is there a law against that? You can't criticize outrigger canoe paddling, though, either. No, 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 no. There is at all, a case for surfing, but outrigger canoe paddling is a cultural treasure here in the Hawaiian Islands. It is designated as our official state sport. Hope you're having a great Monday afternoon. It's Chris Hart and Gary Dickman, the Sports Animals, ESPN Honolulu. Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Also, he is a he has a sports media podcast. He's going to join us momentarily. But there's a there's a trend out that Google Trends shows the most misspelled words by state. So, in for example, in uh, the state of California, the most Googled word like how do you spell and then yeah. Tomato. Californians can't spell tomato. How do you in, Google that, though? Because if you spell you write, the word how out do you, in Google. You, 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 you come close, and Google okay. will find it for you. Okay. Uh, in Alaska, for some reason, they uh, have a hard time spelling the word cheese. I, 
I don't know. I, uh, in in uh, Louisiana, the, the word gray is, is tough for them. It's a four-letter word. They don't know gray. Everyone looks that up. Can you guess what it is in Hawaii? Wow, the other ones were kind of basic. I, I can't. I don't. I, and I've I done this guess. before. I've Googled this word before to spell it. The word that we have the most problem with in the state of Hawaii. Anonymous. Kauai. Kauai or Kauai. Wow. Right. It's like okay, how do you spell that exactly? Kauai. That's all you have to remember. But that's our word that's Googled most from here. Now there is a state that has a problem. I don't. I can't tell which state this is because I'm just as dumb when it comes to geography. It's one of the small states way up east. They have a hard time with the word prank. Prank. How do you spell prank? P-R-A-N-C. Prank. Prank. They don't know how to spell prank. How did you spell it? I spelled it wrong oh, as okay. a joke. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. It, for some reason, in Idaho, they have a problem with spelling the word Tokyo. I guess there's a wow. lot of emails going to Japan from Idaho. Not sure. Very crazy. All right. Joining us now here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, I'm amazed he keeps coming back, but he does. And we really appreciate it. It's time and his talent as well. Check out the Sports Media Podcast or his work at The Athletic. Let's say hi to Mr. Richard Deitch back on. Hi, Richard. I mean, why would I not come on? The, the two times I've been in Hawaii, it's been an incredible experience. So this is pretty much the closest I'm going to get to Hawaii for a little bit. So I always have to go. Oh. <laughs> it gives you the feel, at least. Well, thanks for joining us. And a lot is going on in the world of sports and media. I'm going to start with a guy who um, I wasn't a fan as a basketball player because he hurt my team, J.J. Redick of Duke. But seeing him on ESPN, he's like the rising star. I love and don't want to miss any time he is on talking basketball. What has been the response you have noticed about J.J. Redick on first take? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think J.J. has a really, really bright career. Um, heading forward in the media, he's he's already established himself with his own um, you know media company that he's part of. He has a very very popular podcast that's a top ten podcast independent of ESPN. So he's he's been a pretty good basketball voice for a while outside of his playing career, and he's just not getting bigger exposure with ESPN. He he knows the stuff. He's I think unafraid to challenge some. Uh, you know, old saw kind of opinions, <laughs> and he's you know he's gotten viral. Um, so he's he's sort of broken through at least in the social media sphere when he's appeared on that show. So I think his future's bright. The only thing I would say, and again, I don't, I've actually never talked to JJ other than a, a conference call that ESPN set up. So I can't say I know him really well. I think the real question is just going to be: Does he want to do a conventional role, like where he sort of does something at ESPN on a regular basis? Or does he want to do something like within his own, um, you know, budding media company, and then occasionally pick his spots with ESPN? But but I'm with you. I, I think the guy has a really really bright future, and it's really pretty much going to be just about kind of whatever path he wants to take. It's kind of like the first time you really see Stephen A. Smith put in his place. Well, I know Mad Dog Russo has done it a little bit, but that's opinion versus opinion. When J.J. Reddick talked about NBA behind the scenes, and I heard Stephen A. a few weeks ago, I was never aware of that. And J.J. said, well, you're never in a locker room. That's why you don't know that. He, he's got 
the resume to back up whatever he says, where Stephen A. Smith is just giving his opinion. And I really like – I think the back and forth is good. It doesn't get ugly at all, but I really love the back and forth. But he's been there, done that, so I find myself trusting more of what he says than anybody else. Like, here's the reality. Like, if, if you have a player who can um, – how do I sort of explain this? If you have a player who really has serious interest in being part of the media and, and a serious interest in being transparent about things that happen that we as a public don't know about, that person um, is, going to, you know, is going to destroy in sort of the court of public opinion the person he's like, quote-unquote, I mean, I even hate this kind of stuff, but you know, the person he is debating with or the person he is appearing on television with when they go back and forth on something. Because you're correct. Like the reality is, somebody like Smith or any of the people who are paid to be opinionists, they're ultimately just offering opinion, right? But if right. you're CJ McCollum or you're JJ Redick or you're Kevin Durant, like you're in the middle of this. Like you're you're literally inside all of this stuff. And if you decide to be transparent and provide us with light inside of that experience, and again, it's not easy, and it's much easier, obviously, if you're not playing anymore because you know you. Um, you know, you're not going to sort of get in trouble with the organization. You're correct. Like you just, <laughs> the, the, the opinionist has no shot. At that point, the opinionist is just going to be loud or just going to have more bravado, and that's the only play left. Because the reality is, like, and no offense to Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith does not know what he's talking about compared to J.J. Redick. If J.J. Redick starts talking about, like, literally what happens inside an NBA organization, because one dude is inside an NBA organization and the other guy's a television person. Right, right. And it shows on those shows, but they are very entertaining together. We're talking sports and media and sports with Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Check out the podcast, the sports media podcast, and also his work at The Athletic as he joins us on ESPN Honolulu. Speaking of broadcasters, about over a month ago, I guess now, where Tom Brady got that enormous contract to join Fox whenever his playing days are over. And one of the obvious topics Chris and I brought up on the show is, do people really tune into a game because of the announcer, because of the play-by-play guy? I never have. If I want to watch a game, I'm going to watch it because of the team. So is that money well spent by Fox? I mean, it's a long answer. So, you know, it's and it, there's, a, there's a number of sort of complexities to it. Like, straight up, does anyone tune in for the broadcasters? Like, the straight answer is no, but here's the, all the caveats. But how you process a game, right, how you come away from a game, the experience of watching, listening to it, that has everything to do with the broadcasters, everything to do with the production. So there is a real value in terms of how good a network puts on a production, and in theory, you want to have the best broadcasters and the best directors and the best producers, et cetera. So that's part one. Part two, in terms of the crazy money that they're paying Tom Brady, they're not just paying Tom Brady to be a broadcaster, because you're correct. I mean, that's pretty crazy money to do whatever, 18, 19 weeks a year if Brady ever gets there. But they're paying really that kind of money to be in the business of Tom Brady. So you're paying money for Tom Brady to be part of like your corporate outing. Maybe Tom Brady comes to some very big swanky Fox corporate like advertiser uh, meeting. You know, meets the head of Ford, meets the head of whoever, helps sort of close a deal. You're paying for Tom Brady maybe to show up for Michigan Ohio State, so he makes that that game, which is a Fox property, feel bigger. Um, you're paying for Tom Brady to um, promote your other Fox properties on Fox. So you know what I'm saying? Like you're paying for Tom Brady. If he does something with his production company, maybe he gives you a first look at that. So that's, they're, they're really paid to be in the business of Tom Brady more than just Tom Brady doing these, you know, 18, 19, 
20 games. And here's my last thing I would say. I do think Brady eventually will probably get into the booth. I don't know when he's going to retire, but I think he will eventually make it there. But if you were asking me today, I would bet humongous money there is no chance he does the full 10 years of that contract. That I cannot see. And, you know, if you had to ask me, I say Brady puts in, you know, a couple of years and then moves on. But, you know, again, for Fox Corp, a billion-dollar company, $37.5 million, that's a rounding error for them. <laughs> Easy to spend, I guess, when you're like that. You know, I want to ask you about another announcer broadcaster, Charles Barkley, and inside the inside the NBA, the studio show before halftime and after games, all the way to the conference finals. I love it, but I wonder when they do those shows for the conference finals, they do them on location, and they did them outside in Dallas and in San Francisco. The fans were so loud and boisterous in background that you really couldn't hear the announcers, and also the Barkley back and forth with the fans. It got ugly a couple of times. I don't think it was ever on TNT, per se, but it was viral on Twitter. Does he ever get in trouble? I mean, he basically threatened a fan to follow him home and do some things, but just that and the noise factor, is that a good thing for TNT to have it presented that way? So two things. Let's take the noise one first. First, you know, there's obviously a lot of um, there's a lot of potential positives when it comes to being on location. You get really great energy. You get the fan sampling your product in front of you. Um, it feels more... Um, it just feels more alive, right? It feels more current. But, like, you got to make sure that the audience at home can still hear stuff. So there's a little bit of a danger if you put your set in a place where there's too many fans, you're correct. It becomes too loud. It becomes so distracting for the audience. That's where your operations people really got to scout the location ahead of time and pick a place where um, you get the value of having a crowd there, but it's not too crazy loud where – you know, me as a viewer at home can't hear. Barkley, the reality is Barkley has got Jordan rules. The rules do not, the same rules that apply to other people in broadcasting, they don't apply to him. Um, and so he's able to sort of get away with more things than your average broadcaster. In terms of the, you know, in terms of sort of yelling at fans, it just gets a little dicey in terms of like, well, what is appropriate? And, um, what is appropriate on both sides? And if Barkley feels like uh, somebody's going over the line or if he feels like his physical safety is an issue, I got no problem with that guy yelling at anybody and, and calling somebody out. Um, if it just is really gratuitous on Charles's part where he's, you know, he's yelling at a fan and the fan is doing nothing more than maybe good-natured heckling, well, then, yeah, probably Barkley goes over the line. But I'm just going to be honest with you. The reality is, like, it would have to be something really big and major for Turner to um, to suspend or punish Barkley, he's just um, he has a lot of leverage. Not leverage. He's he's got a lot of leeway with that organization, and far more leeway maybe than almost any other sports broadcaster working today. And probably deserves. I mean, I'll tune in just for him. Of course, definitely is that good. That, you can that, follow that, Richard. That's why he's that's why he's got leverage. Yeah, I guess that's so. The exact reason you just said. Yeah. Follow Richard Deitch on Twitter, at Richard Deitch, as he joins us here on ESPN Honolulu. Again, he's the host of the Sports Media Podcast and writes for The Athletic. Richard, with all the movement in the NFL as far as play-by-play announcer, now you have Amazon Prime and Troy Aikman, Joe Buck on ESPN. What is the most significant move for this season where you're really curious on how it will work out at one announcer at a specific network? Honestly, like, it probably, like, there's, like, five moves, you know? Like, it's just, it's just been the craziest offseason where I'm really interested in a lot of stuff. 
I would say first and foremost, um, I'm interested in terms of how Amazon puts on Thursday Night Football. This is the first year they have exclusive rights on Thursday night outside of the home markets. So I'll be really interested to see just how the main broadcast without Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit is. And then just all their other presentations, you know, how their studio stuff is, what alternative telecasts they have, because Amazon paid a fortune of money, and I'll be really interested to see how they do it. I think the second thing probably is just Buck and Aikman, you know, who moved from Fox to ESPN and, and the whole new Monday Night Football and what that looks like. I think that's very interesting. I'll be paying attention to Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Greg Olson now gets, um, you know, Aikman's spot. That's a massive, massive um, job for him. Be real curious to see how he, um, you know, he how he does with the biggest games of the week. Even NBC has a change. You know, Al Michaels is gone, and it's Tariqo, Collinsworth, and Melissa Stark, who's actually new for Michelle Tafoya. Again, Mike Tariqo has done this before with Monday Night Football. I would expect that booth to be, um, you know, very, very solid and no issues at all. But it's a different sound. You know, it's a different sound with Tariqo, and it's a different sound with Melissa Stark. The only number one team that had no changes is Romo and Nan. But if you look across the board, um, everywhere else, there's just for the NFL, there's just changes galore. Should make it fun, should be interesting, and it's not that far away. Definitely check out the podcast, Sports Media Podcast. Uh, also check out Richard Deitch's work at The Athletic. Richard, thanks again for joining us. We always enjoy talking with you. Same here. Aloha means goodbye. Okay, thank you, Richard. Appreciate yeah. that. A lot of movement on the NFL announcing uh, levels with all those pl- all those ex players and announcers jumping networks. I don't know if we've ever seen that move that much movement in one year. So it should be interesting. Yeah. And then Tom okay, Brady's so waiting. NFL announcer a roulette, let's call it. So I, I, you know, I got I got lost in some of this. Where did Al Michaels go? Amazon Prime for Thursday Night Football with Kirk Herbstreit. Why? Well, Herb Street's doing both. He's going to do college football for ESPN on Saturday, NFL on Thursday. Probably more money for Herb Street, among other factors. But uh, well, yeah, but I don't. Well, why wouldn't you take Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth? Al Michaels' contract was up, and there was talk that NBC maybe wanted to get a little younger. And Tarico's been waiting in the wings for a few years. Collinsworth supposedly had an offer to go there, and I guess he was weighing it for whatever reason. Stayed at NBC. Wow, they want younger, so they went to Rico? They went to a guy in his 50s? <laughs> well, I mean, Al Michael's in his mid-70s, I think. But that, that oh, was some yeah, of the talk yeah. for years. I, this, Al yeah, Michael's still that I mean, good, though. When you, when you, watch, Al, when you listen, watch a game that Al Michael's is doing, not once did I ever go, this guy's in his 70s. Right. Is that, no, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me or something. No, he's and, great. He's still you know, great. M- yeah. Maybe what they're trying to do when they're getting somebody younger is just because Al Michael's is probably going to be gone soon. And with all of this stuff going on, it's like, hey, you know what? Let's get let's get somebody established now, and in five years, they'll be the number one guy, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's you know, Mike Tirico is a pro. You know, I mean, he's your you know your head guy at NBC, and you know, doing all the Olympics and golf and everything that he does. I mean, the guy's a pro. But um, so I could see Chris Collinsworth. And Mike Tirico easily together, it is a different sound, right, like he's saying. But at the same time, I think that's still solid. I mean, Chris Collinsworth is good. Mike Tirico's good. That's a solid team right there. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, I have no feeling on that. I have no – you know, I thought the old ESPN Monday Night Crew was fine. Um, 
Uh, which Shula was it? Dave Shula. Don well, that was Shula. years ago, but it was Brian Greasy last year. Brian Greasy. Sorry, Brian Greasy. No, I got the, the Greasies. I got the Dolphins people mixed up. Yeah. Brian Greasy, it was fine. And the other guy. Louis the, Riddick. For, Louis Riddick, he's fine. Everyone was okay. You know, didn't take anything away from the game. You know, I didn't watch the game going, oh, shut up or anything, right? <laughs> right, yeah. But it's like, but Aikman and Buck, to me, it could be two guys you've never heard of. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of personality or something that makes them different from others. But it's just two really well-polished guys. But nothing stands out to go, oh, Joe Buck's calling the game. Like Tony Whereas Romo I will would say, stand out. Exactly. Tony Romo. I'm going to watch that. Oh, Tony Romo's on. Oh, good. This game's, it's a, you know, it's a Falcons and Saints crap game. Romo's calling it. I'll watch this for a few minutes and give it a chance. So, anyway, lots and lots of football movement. And a lot more people getting involved in because it's all about money, right? Yep. More more players get involved in play by play. Kind of exciting. And you know what? Amazon and Google, they'll be taking over the world soon anyway. Where it'll be half the world will be owned by Amazon, the other half will be owned by Google. And you'll be like, Hey Alexa, hey Google, what you know, <laughs> there's two languages you're gonna speak. You're gonna say hey Google or hey Alexa, and that's how the world is going to be. What about Siri? You going to leave her out? Yeah, Siri's too small. Siri is, <laughs> you know, ever since you named your phone voice after Tom uh, after uh, Tom Cruise's daughter, eh, it didn't make sense. <laughs> Wasn't his daughter named Siri? Uh, I think it's spelled a little different, but it is um, it is that, yeah. Yeah. All right. It's uh, 21 after with the animals. This is ESPN Honolulu. 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Gary Dickman had something he really wanted to get to, and that's coming up next. Gary Dickman here with Chris Hart. We got some stuff we want to go over, but we wanted to make sure, in case people weren't aware, with Timmy Chang as the football coach at the University of Hawaii, we've seen so many recruits come in, a lot of local players staying home, some players returning home after going to college on the mainland. Uh, within the last 24 hours, late, late yesterday, we heard about the first local quarterback to commit to the University of Hawaii under Timmy Chang. It is from Punahou. John Keave Sagopolatele said that he is committing here, and I think that's a great commit to get. We know he's gotten offers elsewhere, and I think it's great that we're getting a quarterback of his stature with his arm strength to stay home and play at the University of Hawaii. Right. So good deal, Timmy yeah. Chang, and we're glad for John staying home, John Keave. Yeah, right on, brother. And uh, way to go. Sons of Oahu stay home on Oahu. And you said he oh, he's a strong arm. This guy's a rocket arm. This guy's got a this guy's got a howitzer, a howitzer of an arm. You know he can work on his accuracy a little bit, I think. But boy, if uh, if you're worried about arm strength, as they say, this guy can sling it. <laughs> so way to go, Sagapolo Telly. Yeah, that was good to see. That was hopefully more guys will stay. Get some more of your sons of Oahu brothers uh, to stay home and join the Brotherhood. I All right, Timmy let's go to the text line on... at 808-296-1420. I'm sorry, what? Timmy Chang said something. On Twitter the other day where they're visiting high schools around the island, I believe, this week, too. So they're not letting up on the local recruits, not only here in Oahu, but all around the state. Right, as long as they can cast their net, they're going to throw their net. That's what they said, babe. All right, uh, going to the text line, we were talking about, um, <laughs> we were talking about, oh, is, da- is this David Lane? We were talking about, how the NBA is different now than it was before. Somebody else was, uh, Gary Payton Sr. 
Yeah. And uh, this, I believe this is our friend David texted. He said, just doing his best Rodman and maybe Lambeer taking the pressure off his teammates by taking the attention. Oh, he's talking about Draymond Green. Draymond Green said he went out there and caused a lot of trouble because he wanted to give his team an attitude adjustment. And so that's what he's saying. He's doing his best Rodman, a little bit of Lambeer to take pressure off his teammates. Okay. Is that what he said when he got suspended after grabbing LeBron James? Because it could have resulted in a similar act doing that yesterday. I think that's a convenient excuse on his part. I know he did allude to that, Draymond did, but I don't know about that because if he gets suspended or ejected yesterday, what does he say then? Yeah, I mean, he's just saying, but he's saying that's why he was acting like that, to get his teammates pumped up. I think it's natural for him. (laughs) Yeah, all right. Uh, Got one here. It says, uh, I was talking about soccer, and uh, soccer is is the closest opportunity, if they change their rules a little bit, to get gain popularity like the NBA and the NFL by changing their rules a little to have more scoring, just like the NFL and the NBA have done. Now, soccer is probably the most popular sport in the world. Of course, we know that. But if you want it to be more popular in America, maybe it's something the MLS does or something. I don't know. Change the rules a little bit. Then we got a text that said, Chris, did you see U.S. versus uh, Uruguay? Uruguay? It was a great zero-to-zero battle. I would have to say that 90% of the Americans probably wouldn't agree with you. (laughs) I know more and more people like, uh, like to watch soccer in this country. And I think it's just people trying to be, you know, it's like, oh, look at me. I got a soccer shirt. I'm a little bit more intelligent than you because I'm not going to root for the sport that everyone else roots for. It's like they're wearing soccer shirts that, that are tight fitting with short sleeves. And it's like, you know, it's like, really? You think you look good in that? Come on. I just offended so many people. This is Gary Dickman speaking on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, somebody, I was talking about, uh, somebody else said that they actually were talking about announcers in the NFL and they tuned in to see John Madden and Al Michaels. That they were the reason that they watched was because of the broadcasters. Thank you very much for your texts at 808-296-1420. See, back in the day when John Madden was announcing, you didn't have the choices that you have now. You didn't have the NFL Sunday ticket. So you're kind of stuck, I think, whatever city you were in, whatever games were on in that market. Right. Yeah. But I enjoy John Madden, too. Yeah, I mean, and you might have Vern Lundquist with <laughs> wow. with uh, Vern Lundquist with uh, Dan Fouts or something like that. I don't know. Right. But you know what? And uh, But thank you guys for texting in the Zephyr Insurance text line, 808-296-1420, if you want to get involved. It's okay. Maybe you didn't tune into it because of them. But if you enjoyed the football game more, when somebody like John Madden was announcing it, then you're going to watch longer, right? Right. You're going to watch the game longer, which means what? More eyes, more ratings, more advertising revenue. Which more means you're going to – watching more of the football games means you're watching more of the commercials, okay. which means the time spent watching is a very valuable thing to the advertisers, which is a valuable thing to the networks. And all that money comes back to the NFL in the rev- uh, in revenue with the contract situation. So it's, it's nice how this all works kind of together if you've got interesting broadcasters like John Madden in the past and Tony Romo today. And I would say if there's, let's say, John Madden's announcing a game on, let's say, CBS, and Joe Schmo is announcing a game on NBC, well, I'm going to watch the John Madden game 
because it's John Madden. Because there's always two games on at once, two different networks. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. But if John Madden is doing Jaguars versus the Jets. Right, right. And Joe Schmo is doing Tom Brady against Peyton Manning, Colts and Patriots. Ah, you might miss John okay. Madden that week. True, that's All true. right. Coming up, we got an animal rewind. Get back into the uh, NBA Finals, which is uh, uh, they can heard all be heard here on ESPN Honolulu. By the way, Wednesday's game, uh, the broadcast starts two o'clock. Tip off around three o'clock here on ESPN Honolulu. We had a special guest, John Carolis. Uh, yeah, Corrales. I think Corrales was actually okay. Than John Corrales. I thought you would have known since you got him on the show. John Corrales. <laughs> From the Locked On Celtics podcast, joins us next on ESPN Honolulu. John Carolus joins us now from the Locked On Celtics podcast and bostonsportsbusiness.com. Check out his book, The Boston Celtics All-Stars, All-Time All-Stars. Aloha, John. Welcome to the show. Are you enjoying the finals? Oh yeah, man, it's great. This is my first uh, my first finals that I'm covering, so this is a, it's a fun time. John, how do you go from game one, or not you, but the Celtics, where they just played <laughs> unbelievable against Golden State, and then yesterday, especially in the second half, just couldn't get it done? What was different, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not different as far as what their track record is. The up and down Celtics right now, win one, lose one. It's been tough for them to win a couple in a row, uh, unless their backs are against the wall, like it was in in Milwaukee. Uh, what happened in game two was uh, it's, it began with some quick shooting, you know, shooting early in the shot clock, then turnovers, a lot of turnovers. They gave up 33 points off of 19 turnovers, five turnovers for 11 points in the third quarter when the um, Warriors went on that huge run. So the turnovers were killers, and then once once you give the Warriors that kind of opportunity to go out there and uh, – start banging some threes you're toast you just buried under an avalanche of three-pointers and that was it it went from six points to 20 points in a blink we were talking a few minutes ago about al horford and on thursday he had a fantastic game he usually doesn't shoot quite that well or put up 26 on every night but he's usually right around 20 for most of his career but how do you go to two points yesterday also marcus smart great game thursday and he only had two points yesterday yeah, I mean, they did a great job on Al Horford. They switched up the, the matchups a bit. They put Clay Thompson on Al. So, uh, Clay is not quite his normal defensive self. So, he's had trouble kind of keeping up with Jalen Brown and, and the quicker guards. So, they put him on Al Horford, who's not as quick. And, 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 you know, Clay was able to play some really good defense on him. And then, you know, Marcus was, you know, he just had a, a bad night. Uh, you know, I don't think they did anything special. To, to keep Marcus at bay. I think what they did is just basically stayed home on a lot of the shooters rather than help off of some of these shooters like they did in game one. And, you know, when, when you help off of somebody and a couple of guys get rolling, it's one of those things that can be contagious. The, the, the ball starts going in for everybody. So uh, they, they did adjust to Al Horford and, you know, put Draymond Green on Jalen Brown, who, you know, Draymond did a good job on Jalen after the first quarter. And, uh, yeah, then you saw the role players just kind of fall by the wayside we're talking boston celtics basketball with john corrales who's with the boston sports journal.com also the locked on celtics podcast and the author of the book the boston celtics all-time all-stars so john now that we're tied one game apiece what adjustments does boston have to do at home this week 
Well, I mean, take care of the ball for one. Be a little bit crisper. You know, stop getting so deep into the teeth of the defense. Get off the ball quick and move and cut. Like, I'd like to see a little bit more passing and cutting than we've seen. Uh, it's a little too much ISO for, you know, my taste. A little too much ISO against that defense that has tried to load up a little bit. And, you know, I, I'd like to see Jason Tatum start to, to really focus on attacking the rim. I really think that Tatum is, is still in some old habits from the Miami and the Milwaukee series where he was hunting for fouls and trying to create points at the line because Miami and Milwaukee, they defend the rim extraordinarily well. The, the Warriors don't to that level, and I think it's, uh, Tatum needs to just start to make his move more, more decisively, uh, play with a little bit more force, play off two feet more, just be stronger in general and, and kind of play through the opponent rather than trying to draw them into fouls, just play through them and they'll foul you no matter what. So just a little bit, a little bit of, of, of all of that. You know, when you look at the Celtics from where they were at the beginning of the season or even in mid-January from where they have come now, the best record in the NBA, we know that Coach Ime Uduka deserves a lot of credit for that. How was he able to achieve so much in his rookie season as a head coach? Yeah, I, I think he he came in with a, a stated goal. You know, when you when you are dealing with new people as a leader, you you set the goals, you set the expectations, you tell them this is how things are going to be. I'm going to be this, this, and this, and you live up to that. And and they respected the fact that he told them, "I'm going to coach you hard. We're going to. This is how we're going to play. This is how I want to do things. And we're going to we're going to do it this way. And if we don't, we're going to have problems." And he's held people accountable. And in January, when things were not going well, the team had just blown a 25-point lead to the New York Knicks. And they realized, like, when we do things the coach's way, we're okay. And when we do things our way, we're not. Uh, and they just started to buy in more to what the coach was, was selling. Once they did that, and then on top of that, you start to get healthier. And they traded Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson, got it back. Daniel Tice got back. Derek White, Derek White's been huge. I think the trades and the buy-in combined at completely turned around the season. You know, I follow you on Twitter at John underscore Corrales, and I see today or the last 24 hours quite a few fans were complaining about the officiating yesterday. <laughs> and we were talking a few minutes ago just very briefly about Draymond Green and, you know, not getting that text that he deserved it. What is your take on the officiating, and specifically Draymond Green and that play with Jalen Brown? Yeah, uh, look, the, the double tech is something that's called to kind of prevent thing. I, I, I'm not a fan of the double tech anyway. So not calling it there, fine with it. I, I don't care. I know that they're saying he, he already has a technical foul, so you don't want to eject him for something like that. I agree with that, actually. You know, you, as long as he didn't kick somebody in the face, I mean, I think, I think that's fine. I think situational officiating like that is fine. Uh, they did let him get away with some things, though, um, you know, some hooks. So there was one, there's one video that's circulating around the, the Internet where it looks like he's run blocking, which yeah. seems a little outrageous. <laughs> um, they, you know, they, they certainly miss calls, but they miss calls on both sides. Fans love to complain about the officiating. They just love to do it. I hate it because, my, my, in my opinion, if you – are worried about the officiating, and if it comes down to them blowing the whistle, then you've probably done five or ten other things leading up to that play that could have been better that would have negated the impact of that whistle. 
So I, I don't like to focus on that kind of stuff. Some games, it's tough, and I'm sure people think that last game was one of them, one of them, and you know, guys got into foul trouble and stuff. But they, look, they were still down two at halftime, and only down six with 4:17 to go in the third quarter. They had plenty of opportunity to make plays and be in that game and not have it be a blowout. So you can't you can't blame the refs for what happened in the final four minutes of the third quarter. That's on the Celtics for not defending and for turning the ball over too much. Hey, John, I thought one one call was one non-call was pretty good. They went to review it. I remember it was a um, uh, Jordan Poole fell to the ground. I can't remember. I think it was Derek White who kind of fell Derek on White. top of him. Yep, Derek White. Play. Yeah, Derek White. He gets up to go, you know, jump over his body to run down the court. Poole puts his hands up to protect himself, and then uh, White falls down. They blow the whistle, and I was glad that they called that, like, no, there was no evil intent, in other words. That was a good call. That was a good good call. That was a good, that was a good, I think, in the sense that it was accurate. But I'll tell you what, what shouldn't have happened. They shouldn't have stopped the play because the Celtics were on a fast break, right? The Celtics were, were in transition, they had an opportunity to score, and they blew the whistle to stop the Celtics' offensive possession. Then they gave the tech, they reviewed it, and then they took everything away. So all they ended up doing was allowing the Warriors to set their, set their possession, set their defense, and, you know, that's, that penalized that penalized the Celtics, and that, that's what you don't want to do. Either you, you either have to say, well, we blew the whistle and we're just going to stick to the technical foul, or like you, at some point as the ref, you're going to sit there and be like, I blew it, but I can't penalize the offensive team for blowing it, so I still have to give them the technical foul. Like you, 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 there, there are circumstances there. I do think the Celtics were disadvantaged by that. Um, but – you know, for accuracy, accuracy's sake, they did get it right, but they also hurt the Celtics in the process there. Hey, John, we only got about a minute left, but could you tell our listeners about this great book? I'm very interested in it, The Boston Celtics All-Time All-Stars. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, it's a book that I wrote. Uh, we're, we're looking back at the Celtics history, and what I did was I picked a player at each position to start and a player at each position as a – reserve so two point guards two shooting guards all the way through then two wild cards and two coaches a a head coach and an assistant so it's a it's a fun way to look back through Celtics history I think some of the choices are going to be obvious right like Larry Bird is your starting small forward you know Bill Russell is your starting center like that's pretty obvious stuff but there were some debates that I had with myself about the others Um, I think I think in a lot of ways it's it's a kind of a history lesson and a good way to acknowledge some of the guys, especially in the seventies who, you know, seventies in the NBA is kind of a lost era. So it was a lot of fun to kind of go back and and look at those guys and give some guys their due, some recognition. I see here that you can get it at uh, Google books. I've never heard of Google (laughs) books.com, but uh, lots um, It's on paperback. Yeah, and and Amazon.com and paperback, so uh, check it out, folks. The Boston Celtics all-time all-stars. John, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate it. Anytime. Ah, good guest. He's got to be a regular on the show. That was uh, recorded earlier today here 
on ESPN Honolulu, but good uh, Boston Celtics talk. And um, I, I just saw this news here. Well, you told me about it. I looked it up. <laughs> but an Air Force F-16 plane had a hard landing this afternoon just before we came on the air out at the airport. Wow. Sounds scary, potentially. Yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, it la- the, I guess the, uh, the, the wheels didn't come out. What do you call it? Not on um, the fail. The landing, landing gear. gear landing gear. Landing gear didn't work. So I, I wish they would say who the pilot was. I mean, the guy's like Maverick. He's like Top Gun. <laughs> it was a Hawaii, Aaron, uh, Hawaii National Guard spokesman said it was, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, you can check out the article. I see it here at Breaking News at StarAdvertiser.com. But, hey, congratulations to, well, you know, the, the Maverick pilot, F-16, goes down at the airport. Hardly any damage. It's got to take talent, right? Definitely no injury. Jeff, congratulations and thank you. Earlier in the show, we were talking about Gary Payton's comment about the era when he played in the NBA was so much different and, in his opinion, better than the era today where they're just shooting threes and all that. And how often do we compare Michael Jordan with LeBron James, Steph Curry with Ray Allen? We compare NBA players. Steph Curry with who? Maybe Ray Allen as far as the three-point shoot. We compare often NBA players with players from a different era, really often. And Jay Bill has had some interesting comments today on that, which makes total sense. Even though he's a dookie, uh, he really is intelligent. I love what he said. He said, in basketball, we seem to think that the old-timers were better. You never hear this in another sport. Nobody ever says, do you think Tom Brady could sit in the pocket if he had a deal with Ray Nitschke and Dick Butkus? And he's right. He said, you never say that, and uh, nobody ever says also, Simone Biles, you think she'd win a gold medal if Olga Corbett was in the field? She was an Olympic star in the 70s. (laughs) He said, we also don't do that crap in other sports. Those are his exact words. We don't say Mike Trout could hit a homer off Kent Tocqueville. He was a sideline us. Sidewinder pitcher, they call him from Pittsburgh in the seventies. Right. And you, right. could they could could Babe Ruth hit Roger Clemens? Yeah. No. But we do it in basketball <laughs> all the time. That's and hilarious. That's so funny. And and I never thought of that, but I, I feel bad that we do it. I hate doing the goat conversation. You've hated it for years. I nah, hate it. Nah. Why not? Well, it's not that I talking. hate it, but there's it's... no wrong answer, so nobody can say I'm right and you're wrong, which is good. It's good to have some things that you can say, I know I'm right and you don't because you can't in that conversation. But we still compare different eras in basketball, and we never do it in other sports. And I find that interesting. I had to read it over a couple of times, but it makes sense that he's right with what he's saying. We never do that in other sports. But basketball has been going on for a while, and it'll probably continue. Not a bad thing necessarily. It's just different in basketball. Well, yeah, and I think part of the reason is football players are so much bigger and, and baseball players so much bigger, faster, stronger. You could say the same about basketball because we're not comparing, we're not comparing Rudy Gobert, his defensive abilities versus George Mikan, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not like we're going back that far. We're going to the you know the 80s and 90s when they started pl- really playing above the rim, and the high flying and all of that. That's why you're able to compare in basketball, and not in any other sport. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you to guys uh, for uh, coming on today. Thank you, Keegan, for your hard work in the PAXA studios back there in downtown Honolulu. We'll see you tomorrow at 3 on ESPN Honolulu.